improve their communication skills so they can help more people and help people more. I'm your host Dr Martin Harvey. I'm a chiropractor and I'm an expert in communicating the value of chiropractic. Today on Under the Influence I'm going to be answering a listener question and I'm also going to be responding, clarifying a few things uh, in terms of the discussion over the last couple of weeks in terms of things that you might inadvertently do that can backfire and upset your retention in terms of communication. So the listener question. So it comes from Daniel and it says, I'm a fifth year chiropractic student, have been a long time listener to Under the Influence. Thanks for that. Uh, Using your insights and knowledge of influence literature, how would you approach a screening and especially what you might say to encourage them to book in? Thanks for your hard work bettering this profession, Daniel. Thanks, Daniel. I appreciate your positive comments. And it's a really interesting question. The the approach here is really similar to the approach that we might use if we were wanting to set things up to make it more obvious for people to decide to do anything. That if we look at the discussions we've had in terms of having people say yes to a program of care, having people making it easy for people to decide to continue to have care, there's kind of a commonality of a couple of basic principles that choose people to decide to do something. Um, First one is the recognition that people buy you before they buy your message. And so the key thing that we want to do is to create that sort of positive connection with people that they they like you and they respect you and the fast track to that really is creating a connection early on in the interaction so what we're really looking for there there's a bunch of different ways that you can do it but probably the most practical way is to create some form of connection we've spoken about how Cialdini talks about the idea of the principle of unity that we like to do things, like to be with, like to come and see people that we feel are part of the same tribe as us. And so we're looking to create a connection. Now in a screening, the context is more public than it is in a in, when people are coming in for the first time into your office. Having said that, there's less obvious sort of commitment there as well. So a couple of different dynamics. But what we're really looking to do is the same. We're looking to create some point of common interest. So for instance, if you were doing a screening in a gym, somebody's come in for their workout, you could start off by rather than jumping straight into the screening, say, hey Dave, nice to meet you. Um, so you're here at the gym, what sort of training do you like to do? And get them to talk a bit about what they like to do. Look, I'm really big on cardio and um, you know I'm trying to lose some weight. And oh, that's really interesting. So you know, cardio, I've been looking at some of the stuff that Peter Atia talks about lately with type uh, with zone two cardio is that the sort of thing that you're doing um, just some point of, of uh, common ground or interest there that puts you in the same tribe of people who are interested in cardio or strength training or yoga or whatever it is um, if you don't have a point of interest or understanding of it don't fake it just ask them more questions look I don't really know that much about Zumba so tell me tell me all about it and um, again that curiosity can create a point of connection 
if you were doing a screening in an office environment, then you could ask, look, I understand this is a, let's say, a computer software company. What's your role? And follow that same path of curiosity to create a point of connection. The other things that often can create a point of connection are things like location. So if you have people fill in a form with contact details, you can do it based on where they live or, um, you know, just if it's at the work environment, look, um, where's your favorite coffee place around here? Any of those points where we're just getting a point of human connection before we're getting into the uh, process. Now, there are a lot of other soft skills that go into connections. So we can use things like eye, making sure we're using eye contact, that we're using their name, that where possible and appropriate, we're using touch, whether that's shaking hands or guiding somebody into the position for the screening, but just ways of creating a little bit of a connection with them as a person. Um, the second thing after that sort of uh, connection or people buying you before you buy their message is we want to create a sense of individualized value. Now, there's a natural flow. And sometimes I think the challenge that people have when they're doing a screening is that they sort of fast track too quickly to the test, whether that's an EMG or a posture screen or whatever the testing thing is. We sort of, because of our curse of knowledge, our understanding of the significance of that finding, we assume that people are going to be, oh wow, my posture's really out of balance, or oh wow, my EMG is not symmetrical. Whereas the truth is that most people really don't care about their how symmetrical their EMG is. They don't, we've spoken about it, but they typically don't care that much even about their health. Um, that, but they do care a lot about the things that they value in their lifestyle. And they particularly care if they're being limited in their ability to do that stuff. And so this speaks true to when we're talking about value and individualized value, that problems are solving a problem initially creates a much higher level of value than just allowing somebody to be arbitrarily better at something. So um, that sometimes speaks a little bit against our kind of philosophical perspective that if we're the sort of practice that focuses on prevention and performance, the idea that we always have to be talking about pain or problems is counter to what we're about. And if we're out in the community, shouldn't we be advocating for this higher vision? My take is that the, you want to allow that that's a possibility but also the basic way that our brains are wired is to prioritize solving problems. So um, if you imagine yourself driving along the Great Ocean Road, yes, you could be uh, sort of, I guess, sort of luxuriating in the beauty of the view, the stunning environment, and be awestruck by the majesty of the natural environment. But I would contend if you saw blue and red flashing lights around the corner of your drive, your focus, your priority is going to be based to what's this problem that I may have to deal with rather than that positive of the awe of nature. And so the people who are in your screening are exactly the same. Yes, they might be available to the idea that chiropractic can help 
optimize their spine, optimize their nervous system, help them have a more upright posture, help them have more energy, etc. However, for most people, the reason that they might have looked at having a screening is probably going to be triggered by something, some problem. And so the segue, the, the way to sort of tease that out would be, okay, so Dave, I'm sort of curious before we do the screening, um, what prompted you to take up the offer of the screening? And people will either tell you what's prompted them or they'll go, oh, look, I've just sort of had, sort of was interested. Okay, so before I do it, are there any issues that I should be aware of, any problems with your spine that uh, you're aware of or you've had in the past or have recurrent issues that I should know before I do it? Um, and then really what we're wanting to do is a mini version of a history. And so let's say somebody says, oh, look, yeah, sort of been having some neck and shoulder problems. It's not that sore at the minute, but, you know, it sort of flares up a bit. All right, well, maybe just tell me a bit more about it. So again, we're using that open frame history and we're going to use a limitations question. Okay, so shoulder problems, neck problems, when it's there, what's the sort of things that either stops you from doing or makes it harder for you to do? And just giving them some space to flesh that out because this is really where the individualized value is going to live. So we do the screening, we show them the connection between what's going on in their, their spine or what that testing shows, and then you link it to the value to them. So look, Dave, I can see here that things are probably out of balance. Now we need to do a more detailed assessment to really get a clearer picture of that. However, there is certainly the possibility that this is what's contributing to you not being able to play tennis as often as you'd like. So my suggestion, and it's completely up to you, is to get this checked out in more detail. And so the next step would be to book in for a checkup. Is that fair enough? And so we've got a couple of things embedded in this call to action part of it, the motivation to get them to do something. The first one is we're making sure that we avoid reactants. So people are smart, people have done various forms of uh, screenings or the like, and they know that it's kind of a sales presentation. However, nobody likes to be hard sold. They like to know, have the, we have a strong internal sense to want to make decisions for ourselves on our own timeline and we get to prioritize how we spend our time, money, energy, etc. And so the way that we make sure that it, they know that you know that it's their uh, choice is by using um, uh, autonomy statements like, it's completely up to you, but and you're giving it as a suggestion. And the final little tweak that I've added in there is the fair enough at the end, where people have a natural tendency to, if you say something like, is that fair enough, to agree with it and then kind of act in consistency with it. So it's a subtle tweak that will be more likely to have people taking you up on your very generous offer. So Daniel, I hope that's been a useful sort of sequence of strategies that you can use in helping more people and helping those people more. Over the last couple of episodes, I've been um, going through a bit of a discussion in terms of what I would describe as a farming approach to practice, where the focus is on uh, in creating connection and then communicating individualized value. And it was I was prompted to do it because I'd had some feedback from 
people who were following a couple of practice management approaches that, and I was critical of them. Um, in particular, I was critical about the ideas of closing um, and then managing people's objections and focusing exclusively on scripts. And I pointed out that there were some challenges with that and advocated for different approaches instead of that. And I had some feedback from um, somebody who I really value their perspective. Thanks, Matt. Um, and I think Matt's sort of basic point was that I was painting things as a bit more black and white than they probably were. Um, and so I wanted to kind of revisit this to maybe make things less black and white and point out some of the um, grey that is probably true. And in particular, um, so Brad Kowacki, who I have a huge amount of respect for and I've done a lot of work with, and he and he uses terms like closing, not often in Australia, but in his communication elsewhere. And he'll talk about managing objections and he certainly does create um, place emphasis initially on learning scripts. And I realised afterwards that me sort of having a go could be seen as me being critical of that. And I think the one thing that I would say is that Brad's the is a masterful communicator and he approaches things in a very patient-centered way. So the response, my response was really to people advocating for a use of those terms that I think is very different to the way that Brad uses them. So good opportunity to come back and kind of revisit those ideas. So a few things. First of all, me saying, you know, that scripts aren't a great idea. I think there is a real positive for scripts because not having any structure uh, can create a lot of chaos. You miss things that should be said to people. It's a very inefficient and unclear way of communicating. Um, and so having structured a communication is 100% a good way of doing it. And I think early on, having kind of a script um, is a good way of doing it. The, the limitation that I would have is that the longer you do a script, the more rote it becomes and the less individual connection and value that it's creating. Um, so I would agree that having a script can be a useful first step, but the key to long-term reten retention is really to developing skills in connection and individualized value. And I would still contend that a script, that relying just on a script isn't optimal for that. So to me, the balance is to have a um, template um, or even a sequence of discussion points that you're going to touch on. The, the approach that I sort of look at in terms of the best way of having optimal communication in your practice is to start with the strategy. So a strategy is, um, I guess, the, 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 the way that you're going to do things um, and then develop your skills in applying that strategy. So your ability to have nuance, your ability to do it at a high level and efficiently. And then finally, have those strategies, those skills, have a sequence or a template that you're going to apply on a first visit, on a second visit, on a daily visit, so that you get that structure that works against chaos, um, but it has a flexibility in it that I would say that sticking just to a script, if you, if you just rely on memorizing scripts, you're going to lose. 
So within that, I believe that the strategies that you should use are those based on science. So um, based on the influence literature, based on the way that our brains are wired to process information. And that way you can get past communication that a lot of uh, practice management approaches teach that are based sort of on the charisma of the person who developed them. But then unless you have that exact sort of personality style, then they're unlikely to work as well for you. Um, so whereas the influence literature yeah, dictates approaches that are really based on the fundamental neurology of the way that we process information. Having the right strategy though isn't enough, you've got to invest the time and focus to get really, really good at it and so therefore develop the skill. Uh, and then having those skills but not having really thought out that structure in terms of how you want to apply it visit to visit is also going to mean you could be the most skilled communicator but use the wrong skill or not have the skill available at the time that you need it. And so having sequences um, having those skills linked in an order and a that makes it flow and make sure that you um, present information and address issues in a way that makes sense to the other person is kind of the way that you get optimal communication. So the idea of closing then, um, this is probably the point where it does, it's used in very different ways. So I would say the one that um, when Brad talks about closing, I still think using a word like enroll is a better word. Like I just look at the idea of, you know, if closing people, if do you want to be closed? No, but I, do I want to be enrolled in something that's going to help me? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the closing sometimes, uh, and the one that I was advocating against is this one where it's sort of seen that your job is to get them to say yes no matter what and to and part of the mechanism of that is that you've asked questions on the first visit that then you use their answers to sort of almost push them to do what you think is in their best interests and to me that's a a manipulation and really the difference between enrolling and closing to me is the is intent is your intent to help give people options and then encourage them to make a decision that suits them, then to me that's giving them, that's enrolling them. Whereas closing is really, well, I've decided what I think is in your best interest. I'm going to do everything in my power to get you to see that, see it that way. Um, so the, so when we're asking people um, to make a decision and as opposed to manipulating them, I think that the asking them to make a decision is a very clients or patient centered way. Um, and it's more or less, you know, this is what I recommend. Do you want to do it or not? But drawing a line in the sand where you're asking them to really make that decision. Um, and the key difference again is emphasizing their choice. Sort of coupled in with that, the idea of managing objections, I would contend that there's a couple of, there's two different ways that we can look at this. Um, there are a few fairly predictable reasons that people will choose not to do something at the time, whether that's money or time or, um, you know, some story that they've heard about chiropractic. And so the view of this that I know that Brad and others would take is that you really just in developing 
uh, a strategy to manage objections. It's not with the intent of manipulating them to do what you think they should do, but it's just to be prepared for the best way of responding when people don't say yes. Um, and again, the, the, the difference there is that idea of intent. Is my intent to help be prepared so I can help people make their own decisions, or is my intent to be prepared so I can manipulate them to make the decision that I think they should make. So a bit more nuance there, a bit more grey there. Um, and I think it's important that we have these discussions around what the ethical and appropriate and effective way it, we can go about things when we're helping make people decisions. Um, mentioned over the last couple of weeks that I am about to launch a new program that is really built on these ideas on helping present to you the best strategies, uh, creating an environment for you to massively fast track that really important skill of going, a really important step of going from just knowing what the strategy is to, to having it as a skill in your tool belt and then helping you create a sequence that means that you can easily use these skills in your practice. And the result, if you go through this, is that it's going to be helping you create a practice that's fun, that's easy, that people love being in. And as a natural process of that connection and individualized value, it's a practice that grows organically. Uh, launch is going to be super, super soon. Uh, I'm going to be launching it very much as a small group experience. So if you have any interest in being part of that, then I would suggest go to insideoutpractices.com and sign up to be on my mailing list because that's where I'm going to um, release it. Um, I had a couple of people say that they went to the website and maybe they've got pop-ups blocked or something and they didn't get the, the little prompt to um, share their email address. If that's you, my email is in the show notes. Shoot me an email and I will manually add you to the list. Thanks for listening and catch you again next week. Thanks for listening to the Under the Influence podcast. Make sure to subscribe so that you can catch all future episodes of the Under the Influence podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, then you will love the online program, The Retention Recipe. It's all about communication strategies that you can employ in somebody's first 12 visits that help transition them from a pain level of health belief to a prevention level of health belief and open up the opportunities for them to see chiropractic as part of a performance or wellness lifestyle. Check it out at insideoutpractices.com.